Hey, everybody. Hi, I'm Tim. Pleased to meet you all here and good to have you all here at Greater Alton Church. And so here we are now, the week after Easter, and I'm going to wrap up a series that we started several weeks ago on this idea of it's for you that, that God calls us. What do we do when God calls us? And uh, I want to make it clear to you, God does call you. He calls every one of us here. Now, whether you answer or not, that's up to you. But but when we hear about, so I remember when I was a kid, I heard somebody say, "God called me," and I go, "Well, what did he say? You know, what's that?" My first time I heard it, I didn't know what he's talking about. And then I realized, oh, he's talking about being called to ministry. Or and I and then I started having this idea that many people have this idea of we're called. It's for the professionals that when you when you talk about calling, it's for the 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 people that we call the professionals in the kingdom, the preachers, if you will, or the missionaries. But the Bible doesn't. Say that. It doesn't even uh, make that clear. In fact, God called all kinds of people. Uh, and they weren't professional. They weren't very professional at all. And He called them uh, and gave them an assignment or or maybe a mission in their life. And uh, I just want to make it clear to you, God calls. He calls us. We've learned in this series so far that God calls us to belong. That's why we're doing this small group seminar on the 18th. Because... We know that it's important. God calls us to be connected to people. He doesn't want you to be a lone ranger. How often do you find yourself trying to tackle stuff by yourself? I've done that many times and paid for it every time. No, God wants us to to belong to His family. And so He puts us in a family. Sometimes that's like uh, when we're born into a family. We don't get to choose it. I don't get to choose the family I was born in. And I don't get to choose the family I was born again in. But I do ultimately have to make a choice of how connected I'm going to be in that family. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, we're all sort of, if you think about it, the Bible says we're adopted. Well, am I going to embrace the family God has put me into? So I determine how close I'm going to be with the rest of the family. So we've been called to belong. Another thing we learned was we're called to become. You know, God loves you just the way you are, right where you are. But He loves you too much to let you stay there, folks. He wants to, He wants to move you on. He wants to help you grow and mature. And so this, this idea of becoming, God says, come on, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me, take my yoke and come to me, follow me. Like Paul said, follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Why? We're imitating Christ. We're becoming like Christ. And so He calls to that. And again, He can call, but my response to that call determines everything. I know folks that are stuck in their second year of being a Christian. They're in their 50s, some sometimes in their 60s, and they're still two years old as far as a Christian. They long for the good old days. Or they're stuck in their character. They're no more like Christ than they were 40 years ago or, or 20 years ago or 10 years ago because they're stuck in the terrible twos as a Christian. But we're called to become. So my response determines the outcome of that call. And then last time we talked before Easter, we're called to bless. You know, God doesn't bless me, doesn't bless you just so I can make a lot of money and take care of my family and have a good time here on this earth. He wants me to bless others besides my family. He wants me to bless other people in this world. And so He blesses me with this. And see, I can either live stingy or I can live as a steward with the blessings God gives you and I. See, I I determine that, you determine that. Again, it's our response to that call. Now today... I want to, I want to talk about God's call to go. Now I almost called this lesson God's call to go away, but I'm afraid some of you would take that literally and you just leave. 
Um, and some folks have done that, okay? You know, but, but I, I, I think of this idea of God calling me to go. He wants to send me somewhere. He wants me to go. Look at this passage here in 1 Peter 2. This is what the Bible says as a disciple of Jesus, one of the twelve. But you are God's chosen treasure, set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience His marvelous light. And now He claims you as His very own. He did this so you'd broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. Did you catch that? Do you see the implication of going? He says, God, first of all, called me out of darkness. And He wants me to broadcast. You see, God not only calls me to come to Him, but He calls me to go to Him. Not just come to Him, but go for Him. Why? He wants He wants everyone, as many people as possible, to experience this marvelous light that He's offering. He wants them to experience not only light, but His love. Again, that verse... He's talking about chosen treasure, devoted ones, His very own. And He wants others to, ex- to experience that too. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be pretty selfish with what God's given me. I can be pretty selfish with what, how God has blessed me. And I forget, it's not just me He died for. And it's important that you have a, you do, that you have a personal conviction that, of the grace of God, the goodness of God. But He also doesn't just have you in mind or me in mind. He has others in mind. Those that we live with. Those that we work with. Look what the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 5. He, that is God, sent Christ to make peace with us and to bring us back to Himself. Now He's given us the work of bringing other people back to God. I don't know of anything more important than answering this call. Let me tell you why. Because redemption is is very close to the heart of God. Reconciliation and redemption, salvation is dearest to His heart. How's the Bible, how's the Bible say it? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so He wants as many people as possible back into His family. Now I've heard people say, well, we're all children of God. That may be true. I, I can see that in the sense that we're created in the image of God. But not everybody is a member of His family. That's a choice you make. And it's a choice we need to let people know that they can make. Look at it says here in Luke 14. There's a parable Jesus was talking about. And look at the environment of the kingdom as He describes it. He says it's like a fellow who said this, Go out into the roads and country lanes. Tell the people to come. I want my house to be full. See, God wants as many people as possible in His family. He wants everybody but he needs somebody to go. He needs somebody that will allow themselves to be sent to bring them here, to bring them into his kingdom, to bring them into his family. So how do I make God's, how do I answer God's call to go? That's what I want to talk about this morning. How do I answer this call? Well, number one, I make his great commission my commission. In other words, I make his call my call. It says here, look at this, there's a, in Mark 16. Then Jesus said to them, So wherever, who's them, disciples? So wherever you go in the world, tell everyone the good news. Wherever you go. 
wherever you are, I want you to tell the good news. Wasn't Jesus like that? That's what he believed. He was sent. One time he said to his disciples, just like the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he, he came, yes, to a local town or a region, but he also, he came to the world. And he calls me to, to go as well. Now I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking about, um, who's somebody that has embraced this great commission? And of course the disciples, the twelve, I think of them, of course, but then I think of the apostle Paul. He kind of came afterwards, years later. And uh, in Acts chapter 9, you read about his conversion. And if you remember what was happening, the Apostle Paul was uh, on his road, uh, on a road somewhere, heading, I think it was to Damascus, wasn't it? Yeah, and he had some papers in his hands, and he was going to stop these Christians. He was going to arrest them, have them thrown in prison. He didn't agree with the resurrection, didn't agree with the gospel message. And of course, we find out that God meets him on that road, strikes him blind. He's blind three days. He's praying for three days. What do you pray about when you're struck blind for three days? I don't think he's asking Jesus to come into his heart. I think he's asking for his sight back. What's he praying about? What's he thinking about? What do you see when your when your eyes are closed? You see inside. He's thinking about. I was wrong. I was messed up. What was I thinking? This Jesus guy is real. He really is the Son of God. And we find out that a fellow by the name of Ananias is, is said, "I want you to go and speak to this guy." And Ananias says, "I don't know. This guy is kind of scary. Have you seen what he's been doing lately?" <laughs> yeah, I know. But then he says this to Ananias. He says. But I have chosen him to go tell the Gentiles. And then he says this weird, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now there's a statement you ought to look at sometime. I'll let you figure that one out. He's going to show Paul, how what's he going to run him through the ringer? He's going to go through the ring. He's going to suffer answering this call. It's going to be easy for him. And the Apostle Paul takes that that mission. And look what he says here uh, in the Bible, uh, what Paul says in the book of Acts. He says to the, uh, some people in the book of Acts, my life is, is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. In other words, I, I know he says to go, and here in Acts 20 he says, and I've taken that mission and it's mine. In fact, my life is worth nothing if I don't complete this mission, if I don't embrace this mission that He's given me. When does the Great Commission become my commission? Think about that. When does the Great Commission become mine? When does His call become my call? Let me give you some things to think about here. I think, I think it becomes my commission when I, when I love lost people the way God loves them. See, everybody matters to God. And I like that when it's, re- when I'm in the reference. Comes in handy, huh? <laughs> yeah. But what about someone else? Well, to my friends, I like it then. What about someone else? Let's broaden it out, folks. What about those that hurt me? What about those people I don't even know? Not the Great Commission, becomes my commission when I start and I start learning to love other people like God does, even the difficult ones. 
I heard somebody say it this way. If you had the cure for cancer and you didn't share it with anybody, what would that, what would that make you? One of the most stingiest people on earth. See, what we're sharing when we talk about the gospel and the good news, it is the greatest cure of all. It cures, it cures our greatest spiritual disease, if you want to call it, or illness. And for the Great Commission to be mine, I have to look at people, not as problems, but to look at them as helpless, to look at them like Christ. Jesus said this, or this was an observation about Jesus and Matthew. One of his disciples noticed this about him. When he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them because they were hurting and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said to his followers, there are many people to harvest, but only a few workers to harvest them. Pray to the Lord who owns the harvest that he'll send more workers. You know, there's a worker shortage right now in the kingdom. Do you know that? There is such a shortage of people. I, I'm right now having a hard time finding good help at where I work. And it really just makes it tough on everybody else because everybody has to pick up the work that can't be done. They, somebody's got to do it or it ain't going to get done. And Jesus says, man, there's so many people that need, that need me. So many people that need saved. But I've only got a few people. What do you got? What do I do? Pray that God will send more workers. Pray that other workers will go. Pray that other people will say, I'll do this and I'll gather. And I just know what the thing, the two words that leaped out me the most in this passage were, he felt. He felt. I don't know what, I've been a Christian long enough, you know, I struggle sometimes with how I feel about people. Anybody know what I mean by that? You know, how we feel, how do we really feel about people? Certain people, I've got strong feelings. I won't go into that. But that's, a, that's exactly the problem. I have these strong feelings, but they're not good feelings, are they? You know what I'm talking about. You have that list of, Jesus didn't have, if it was a bad feeling, it was a feeling of compassion. One translation says his heart was broken when he saw this. I don't know about you, but I can be around lots of people and my heart is still intact. Do I feel, do I feel about, do I feel the hurt in people? Do I feel their helplessness? Have I forgotten how it was for me? How it felt then? Sometimes that happens, huh? We just fail to feel. I was reading an article uh, this week and I sent it out to several people. How, how to, basically, this, why do people come back to church? I thought on the heels of, uh, Easter. Why, why do people come back to church? And this was what they, they had, uh, what they said. Well, first, they come back to church because you show them love. In other words, they know you care about them. They come, number two, they come back to church because you collect information about them. You're, in other words, instead of working to be interesting, you're working to be interested and others. Big difference, folks. You want to be real attractive to people? You want to attract and influence people? Be more interested in them than being interesting to them. And it makes a huge difference. I've tried it. 
it's hard to do because I'm just so selfish. I'm just so self-centered. And I run into it all the time. And by the way, besides showing them love and getting information like, you know, where do you live? Tell me a little bit about yourself. It's good to have you here. Why are you here? Well, last, uh, last week, we're, um, we're having uh, our drama presentation. And after, as we're getting uh, wrapping it up, somebody walks by and says, hey, there's a person crying in the second row. Just thought you ought to know. I'm going, what did you do to them? You know, what's the first thing? <laughs> but I'm going, okay. And I walk out and... Let me tell you, this, this, this young lady had everybody on the jury just, it was hard for them to cut her in their lines, which was good. I always thought that was awesome. I would love for people to forget about what they're doing long enough to notice somebody hurting, huh? And I'm sitting there trying to preach, watching this, and then I meet her afterwards. She'd lost her brother a month earlier. First time she'd been to church. You know, how do you feel about? And I, you say, well, nobody cares how I feel. Oh, listen, that's not true. But you know, after a while, I'm old enough. I'm not going to concentrate so much on my feelings as much as everybody else. What, what are they going through? That's what that's what the older siblings do in a family, right? Yeah, I get that. Show them love. Collect information. I reach out after Sunday. In other words, I use that information and follow up within 24 to 48 hours. Another thing I do is I get them involved. I try to get them in a small group or I try to get them involved to, to church more or maybe eventually in a ministry or maybe maybe help in an event or some serve in some way. And these bring people back to church. But I notice something missing. And I thought, this is this brings people back to church. And what's that? I talk about Jesus. Because that's what we're doing this for. That there's dialogue about Jesus Christ, about His Word, and how He's had an impact on my life. Now, the re- let me tell you why I'm bringing this up now. Is the Great Commission of Jesus your commission? Because if, listen folks, if you're not interested... And helping people find Christ. If you're not, if you're not interested in helping people have a relationship with God, first of all, the Great Commission is not yours. You still got some adjustment there. And secondly, you might as, you're, you're saying this to the rest of the world. Go to hell. Because you're not doing anything about it. I mean, let's go through this list again. Uh, we'll entitle it this section now, How to Keep People from Coming Back to Church. Instead of loving them, I'll ignore them. Instead of paying attention to them, which is, by the way, the greatest gift you give somebody is your attention. Instead of paying attention to them, I'll just ignore them. I'll I'll, I'll dodge out the door as fast as possible. Uh, Instead of collecting information, I'm not really interested in what they're doing. Instead of reaching out to them after Sunday, you don't want them to come back? Don't bother them. Leave them alone. I don't know about you guys, but it took a lot of courage for me to walk into church the first time. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? It took a lot of courage and faith to come to church. I didn't come to be ignored. I come to get some help. But if you don't want them to come back, don't bother them. And and if you if you don't want them to come back, don't let them in your group. Don't let them, don't let them know what's going on. Keep them out of the loop. And if you definitely don't want them to come back, don't even talk about Christ. 
talk about sports, talk about politics. Oh, there's a good one. Lots and lots of politics. Talk about Trump. Talk about sleepy Joe Biden now. Talk about whoever you... Talk about AOC, but don't bring up JC. Talk about all that other crap. And you want you will be successful in keeping people from coming back to church. And your church won't change. It'll just die this slow, chronic death. And you say, Tim, what are you talking to me like that for? Trying to wake you up a little bit here. Is the Great Commission your commission? Or is it the Great Suggestion? Big difference, folks. Number two, if I'm called to go to respond to this call, if I'm going to answer this call, I think more about others' needs than about what I need. I think about what others need more than I think about what I want or need. You see, what are you talking about, Tim? I know a lot of people that are Christians been a long time that are still, they're saved, but they're very selfish. They're very self-centered. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul told the church there, my friend, stop thinking like children. Think like mature people. What's the difference between the thoughts of a child and the thoughts of an adult? Well, let me give you a few here. This happened, this happened this week. I had my granddaughter, Nora, over for a sleepover. And she comes into the shop and I am just stressing out like crazy. Denise goes, hi, Papa. And she goes, hi, Papa. And you know, she hugs me. Well, now it's, uh, I'm, I'm crushed. And she goes, guess what? We're having a sleepover. And when they told me that, I said, what? I said, well, that's great. And so we, we go out to eat. We go to China Walk with Uncle Danny. And so we're sitting there talking and she's having... And Denise, we're noticing something. Nora is growing up. Man, she's growing up. And, and Denise goes, you know, you are so grown up. You are growing up so much. I know, I'm four. <laughs> well, there you go. And she was. She was acting so grown up. Unlike Easter, where there was a moment. She had a moment. Not a lot of them. Just had a moment. We're all getting ready to eat. We're eating outside. Beautiful day, wasn't it? We just ate outside. I was spent 90% of the time outside. And we're outside, and here comes Nora. And Nathan says, come over here and sit with Daddy. No, I'm sitting with Papa. No, I want you to sit. No, I'm going to sit with Papa! I'm four. <laughs> Carmody walks up and goes, I'm going to sit with Nora. And so we're sitting there having a good time. Now, if if Nora is 24... And she's screaming, I want to sit with Papa. First of all, I'll be so glad I'm still alive. (laughs) That's refreshing. (laughs) Secondly, I I would go, what? I would go, what are you doing acting like that? Throwing a fit like that? No. No, the older we get, it's supposed to work this way. The older we get, the less we're to think of what we want and more about what others need. You get married, you learn that in a hurry, fellas. You have a child, you learn that in a hurry, Michael. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I know. I I can say that because I remember going, oh my gosh, I got a kid. This isn't a pet. This is a person. Big difference. And, and, and now I'm a grandparent, and all I think about is, okay, 
I expect my grandkids to say, I want this, I want this, I want this. But I don't expect my sons to act like that anymore. Or my wife to act like that anymore. Because we've grown and matured. And we realize life is bigger than me. It's not about me. And all I know, guys, is that as a church, we get stuck in this perpetual immaturity. If we're not caught careful, that's what happens. Because I'm afraid a lot of us here, a lot of us here are into God mostly about personal fulfillment. I'm not saying God isn't great to me and great to you. Yes, but it can't be just about personal fulfillment. You know, I, 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 yes, I'm saved, but I don't want to be this self-centered person. I want to grow. I'll give you examples. My prayers are mostly about my stuff. Their prayers as if to say, God, would you make it more comfortable for me? Now again, I go back to that verse that says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I don't know about that. I'm wondering, I'm still wrestling with that. God tells, says that to Ananias to say to Paul, he realizes. I'm like, so life is suffering? I thought it was supposed to be comfortable, being saved. Everything's good. Everything's, you know, everything is awesome. You know, it's going to be wonderful. And it's wonderful being a grandparent. It's wonderful being a parent. It's wonderful being married. But I've learned it's also hard because you have to not think of yourself so much. And that may be what makes it so wonderful. But our prayers are mostly self-centered. We're interested in comfort. We're not really interested in character building. So we our relationships we keep superficial because we don't want anybody stepping on our toes too much. Or I'll just go to another place or another group, another church, another country for all I know. It's almost like as if we're mostly interested in God fitting into my purpose than being used for His purpose. It's totally different. And see, when I look in the Scriptures and I see people answering God's call, they're different. They answer the God's call to go differently than, than most folk. Look how Paul says it. I don't think about what would be good for me, but about what would be good for many people so that they might be saved. Boy, there's a verse you ought to put somewhere. He said, I don't think about what I want when I'm around others. I'm thinking about what can I do? What can I do to meet some of their needs and and adapt to them somehow so they can be saved? You see, I wasn't reached by self-centered people. And neither were you. No, these people were different. Just like it took sacrifice to save people, it takes sacrifice to save people. Just like the body was crucified on the cross to save all mankind, the body today must be crucified again and again to save others. You on the cross? Nobody saved off the cross. I mean, Jesus said stuff like this, Not my will, but yours be done, Father. That's the kind of dialogue He had when it came to His mission. And that's what people are like when they answer the call to go. They're saying, Lord, this is inconvenient. This, this is going to mess with my time. I had plans to do this, and then this came up. Why can't they plan stuff further down the road so I can I can plan it in my calendar. 
You know, you just take the Holy Spirit's impromptu, go here, there. You take that factor out, folks. You're not going to reach anybody because you're going to be too busy on your own stuff. Look at, look at this passage here up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said it this way. He elaborated even more. He says, Even though I am free and the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. He says, To the Jew I became a Jew. To a Gentile I became a Gentile. And then he says, I didn't take on their way of life. In other words, I didn't cave. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I, listen to this, I love the way the message paraphrases. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And why do you do that, Paul? I do all this because of the message, the good news, the gospel. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that. You want to be in on what God's doing? You've got to take yourself out of the way so He can work. You've got to take yourself out of the way so He can move. I mean, what needs to change when we talk about this idea of thinking of others above ourselves, thinking of our mission above our own mission? What needs to change? Number three, I develop an eternal perspective. If I want to answer the call of God, I develop this eternal perspective. Uh, here's how I say it. What matters more to you? What happens now or then? I'm saying, I've learned this. If you concentrate on then, it helps you deal with now. But I can concentrate on now and never get to then. When I mow my lawn, when I used to plow in a field on a tractor, I'd mark a tree out in the field and I'd go put my exhaust pipe right on it so I'd have a straight row because Dad was particular about that. And I'd plow and I'd look back and it was straight as an arrow. But I wouldn't have been straight if I'd have been looking right in front of me. I'd have followed a bug. I'd have followed a frog. I don't know what else. What else? Oh, look, there's some flowers. It would have been all over the road. Is it the urgent that I... And this this really cuts me. This is what cuts me. Because I'm... Boy, there's so many times. Even this week, I go, the urgent grabs my full attention over the ultimate. I'm just in... This is happening now. i got to deal with it now. i got to deal with this now. And I'm not trying to be... I know there's some things that happen to us now we got to deal with. But if I lose sight of where I'm going... It's not going to have much of a purpose in my life. Years ago, Denise and I were remodeling our house. And if you've ever built a house or remodeled a house, one of the things that's annoying is all the decisions you got to make. How many outlets do you want? I thought you guys figured it out. No. How many would you want? Oh, three? Three? Four? Four? A twenty? Twenty? Do you know what you... I don't know. How many should I have? You're asking me... To make this decision for you, you're going to be living in this house, not me. Well, I guess I like to have one here and one here and one here. Okay, okay, now we're cooking. Okay, now, um, what kind of what kind of uh, doorways do you want? Are you kidding me? Just a doorway? Well, there's lots of doorways. I don't know. What kind of siding do you want? You want, you know, triple three, double four? What do you? What? Dutch lap? What's that? That sounds like. 
I could catch that from you. I don't want that. I have Dutch lap. Ah! Decisions, decisions. You want ceiling fans? You want fluorescent lights? Incandescent? How many switches do you want on the wall? Well, at least one. Well, what about all the other stuff? Well, two? Is that all? Three? I got five on one wall. You know, I got the ceiling fan, outside lights, the outside light just outside the door, the inside light, and this other one, I'd never have figured out what it does. I'm probably blowing something up for all I know. <laughs> but all these decisions, you know what I'm saying? All these, and I remember going, I don't know, how do you make up your mind? He goes, well, Tim, think of it this way. If it doesn't matter a year from now, then you probably don't need to do it. If you're not going to notice it a year from now, what's he trying to say? Try to think a little longer term. I couldn't do it. I'm saying, oh yeah, okay, a year from now. Well, that light switch matter a year from now. Well, I'm sitting there, and my smoke is coming out my ear. I'm not used to thinking that far ahead. I just want to walk in the room and put the switch on. That's all I want. But he forced me to see something. I don't think very long term. I wonder if how many of us really think long term. Do we think about then? Or are we stuck in the now? See, when it comes to your mission, it helps to keep eternity in mind. Otherwise, I get so busy with my life here, eternity will not matter to me or anyone else's eternity for that matter. I don't really care about what my kids are going to grow up to be or my grandkids are going to up to be if I don't have eternity in mind. If there's ever a time to be concerned about what your kids are going to be and what your grandkids are going to be, it's in our culture today. Where they're going, where they're going to spend eternity? Are they just going to be professionals or skilled at something and live in a nice house with a nice lawn? What's happening after that? See, when I look at people, I don't think like that. When I see people in general, I'm not thinking about that. And God's saying, you want, if you're going to respond to this call to go, Tim, I got you, get you to think further out than that because Jesus thought that way and God thinks that way. And if I'm not thinking that way, I'm going to have, listen folks, I'm going to have less or little to no time to do anything for the Lord because I'm going to be concentrating on now. Look at this passage again in 1 Corinthians 7 here. It says, You should use the things of the world without letting them become important to you. Well, that's a challenge, huh? This is how you should live because this world, the way it is now, will soon be gone. He's saying, keep your mind, remember something. Whenever you're running after the paycheck and putting in glass or taking care of somebody at a restaurant or taking care of a court case or whatever you're doing, remember something. All that stuff is only temporary. You need to think longer than that. I heard somebody say, you can't take it with you. We hear that all the time. You can't take it with you. Why not? Because, well, you won't need it there. You don't need it where you're going. To make the most of my time on this earth, I've got to have this eternal perspective. I've got to learn what God's want me to see beyond now. Here again, Second Corinthians. This is in the voice paraphrase. So we do not set our sights on things we can see with our eyes. 
All of that is fleeting. It will eventually fade away. Instead, we focus on the things we cannot see, which live on and on. He's saying, Paul says in the back of his mind, he's realizing, where's this going? What's this really about? It's about eternal things, things that go on and on. And folks, when you have an eternal perspective, it has an impact on how you see other people, how you see family and friends and even strangers, because they have an eternal destiny, and God has put you in their life to achieve that eternal destiny with Him. I think about Jesus in Isaiah 53. It says that He will see the light of life and be satisfied. And if you read on, He's talking about what is the light of life. Well, pleasing His Father is exciting to Jesus, yeah, but in Isaiah 53, the joy set before Him, the light of life, is the redemption of people. He sees that far ahead. He has saw you come to Christ, to His Son. And He sees you in heaven already. He sees you in this new life, this new place. Number four, if I want to answer the call, I come up with creative ways to fulfill God's call to go. I think of, of, other, I think of other ways to answer this call. Look, it says here, work at bringing others to Christ. I realized also, not only was I not reached by uh, uh, selfish people, I wasn't reached by one method. It was a combination of methods, combination of, of things that happened. I wasn't reached by one person. It was a blend of people, a blend of different kind of people, all sharing something in common. They're willing to go. And these Christians, I notice about all these people, and I'm thinking of them now, there's a host of them, that used whatever talents they had, whatever strengths they had, whatever they had to influence me, and they were still interested in learning new ways to influence me. They weren't just stuck with, well, these are my strengths and I'll be content with that. No, they wanted to learn other ways to make an impact on my life. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, and there are different ways that God works through people, but the same God. God works in all of us in everything we do. See, everybody, all of us here do not fulfill God's call the same way, but all of us are involved in fulfilling that call. I'm watching a, I'm watching a, 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 a show called The Brigade. It's on the Outdoor Channel. It just started last week. I decided to, to try it out and see what it's about. It got me kind of interested. It's about these ten people from all over the world, you know, in different forms of the parts of life, in a huge canoe, and they're going to canoe upstream in Canada uh, and retrace the fur trader's route, and they have 30 days to do it. And it's 750 miles long to Hudson Bay. And they're interviewing him. This guy here is a outfitter. He's a rig outfitter for hiking. Here's a person. He's a canoeer, a professional. He does lots of kayaking and canoeing. Here's a bank teller. I don't know what he's there for. Going to count the dead, I guess. Okay, I'm keeping track. There's three of us dead so far. You know, you got a nurse, a registered nurse. Then you have a Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL, special ops. Uh, and then you got this other person who's uh, 
just a veteran, been in, been in uh, Afghanistan, three tours, and there's this veteran, and they're all coming together. All these strengths, you think, wow, this is something. And, the, the, and what's the object? To get 750 miles upriver to this Hudson Bay trading post where they will split up a half a million dollars. They all have in their little pouch a little red tag. And when they break it open, it sends an alarm and a chopper comes and picks them up and takes them out any time during this 30-day trip. But you're thinking, who would do, who would do that? Man, there's 10 of them. And they're all, and this is not like Survivor. Let's get rid of somebody. You need 10 people to get there. You want them all 10. So the guy that's in charge of the canoeing, I know how to canoe. I've been canoeing for 50 or whatever years. They put him in the back and he's going stroke, stroke. And he has all these techniques and they're making, I mean, they're making progress. Then they got the, 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 the a veteran. She has a iPad that has the map of a GPS and she knows where they got to get to. And she says, I've read maps in the military. I know what I'm doing. I'll take care of that. Okay. And we're going to run. And I'm watching the first two days three days of this trip. And the first day, she she overshoots the campsite by two miles. So now they're camping, not in this beautiful camping area, but in this rocky insects. It was a mess. And they're all, and she's like, how did I get that wrong? And then the guy who's the stroke, stroke, and he's the, I mean, he's, man, this, all of them are saying, this guy's amazing. He's going to keep us focused. He's motivational. What a leader, a born leader. And after two days, he decides to skip lunch because he's not hungry. And they're burning up thousands of calories now. And by the end of the second day, he's puking his guts out and they're not even sure that somebody's wanting to tear his tag for him. This guy's, I think he's about out. And the nurse and the Navy SEAL guy, you okay? You okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm, I'm just, I'm good. You need to eat something. Mm, I'm trying. I keep coughing it back up. You got one guy going, you know, I'm okay. And he's not. And th- then I watched the military veteran go, listen, folks, I've realized I have overshot the campsite once, undershot the campsite the second night. How about somebody else take this? I don't think I really should be the person doing this. You see an arrogant person and a humble person. You see all strong people, but the strong guy won't won't admit he's weak. And the strong woman admits she's weak in area. And they said, sure, we'll take that. Thanks. I'll just concentrate on rowing right now. Sounds good. That's the first episode. What are you saying all that for, Tim? What I'm trying to get you to understand, some folks, is, is that all of us, we use our strengths, and I think it's wonderful. You need to use your strength to reach people. We're all in this boat together, you know what I'm saying? When my brother and sister come to church, I need help in influencing them for Christ. I, I can't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at some things. I need help with them. And when you bring your friends, I know you need some help. On sun, we're just talking about Sundays now, just Sundays. Just Sundays, I need help. And maybe you've got a strength, you go, what can I use my strength for? To build things, to make things. Well, how can I use my strength? You know, one of my strengths, I don't know if it's a strength, I've been told is you talk. I don't think they said this, I don't even think they said it was a strength. I just said I talk. But I've never had anybody say, one of your strengths, Tim, is you're such a good listener. I am weak. I am so weak in that. 
And I want to be better at that. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is, is that this idea of finding a creative way, yeah, use that different way. All the different parts of the body work together. They're strong in those things, okay? And just like we're all, we have strengths, let's use them to reach other people. Instead of just making money. Instead of just padding our retirement. But use them to find ways to get, to make inroads with people. But if you have a weakness, be interested in strengthening that. Be interested in strengthening a weakness that you have. Because we, if we all can do this together, we can bring our friends to Christ. The last thing, I go where I can now. If I answer God's call to go, then it starts with going where I can go right now. See, you don't have to be a missionary on the other side of the world to answer God's call. It can be your own backyard. In fact, I think that's where God wants everyone to start. He's always wanted us to start where we are. Look at this in Acts 17. God began by making one man, and from him He made all the different people who lived everywhere in the world. He decided exactly where and where they would live. God wanted people to look for Him, and perhaps in searching all around for Him, they would find Him. And then it says this. What an interesting sentence here. But He is not far from any of us. I've always wondered about what that last phrase is about. He's not far from any of us. Well, He's like, you know, the force. You know, He's all around. His Spirit hovers. Sure. His creation, it inspires. Sure. But would you consider something else? Could it be that He's not far from anyone because He put someone close by? He may have put you close by someone so they, as they're searching, could reach out and find Him. I think about examples of that in the Bible. They're everywhere. Let me ask you this morning, where is God putting you now? Ask yourself that. Where is God putting me right now? Instead of complaining about work, well, I don't like this job, I think I ought to move on, maybe you're supposed to be there for another reason. Why do you live in this town, the town you live in? Why in that particular neighborhood with the barking dog next door? I have one of those. Maybe that dog is trying to say, hey, help us over here. <laughs> God won't let me sleep. Must be a reason. I mean, think about this. You may be the only Christian someone knows. The only Christian that they really come in contact with. And one time, a guy wanted to go with Jesus, and look how Jesus responded. He said, go back home and tell people how much God has done for you. So the man went all over town telling how much Jesus had done for him. I mean, I could start now where I live. Someone says, I need a fresh start. Start where you are. You don't have to go away to have a fresh start. Start where you are right now. Answer this call. Let me close with this verse. I'm asking you this morning to have this attitude when it comes to God's call. Isaiah said, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, calling. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
And I said, here am I, send me. Can you say that this morning? Will you say that this morning? Lord, use me any way you can. Help me figure out how to use my strengths here. How do I use my strengths in reaching people? And where I'm weak, Lord, help me learn better ways and learn how to strengthen those weaknesses so I can be even more effective. Lord, help me think about others. I'll go and I'll think about others over what I want, what I need. I'll think about what they need. I will not make it about me. And Father, I'll go because I'm going to make your commission my commission. I agree with you. I'm going to be aware of it. I'm going to think about it because there's eternity at stake here. And I keep forgetting that, Lord. Remind me that I'm, I'm here longer than I am here. I ask you this morning to make that decision. Make that decision when God calls. There's a card in your bulletin and you can respond to this lesson if you like with a comment or a prayer request. There's a team of people that pray over those cards and pray through those cards for you. They don't talk to anybody else about what they read. Why not take advantage of that? We're going to sing a song after I pray here and give you a chance to fill that cards out if you haven't yet. And then we'll sing another song uh, and dismiss us for the day. May God bless you to answer His call because He is calling. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Lord, thank You for Your call to to belong, to become, and to bless. And Father, thank You for calling us. You don't have to include us, but You call us to go. You want to involve us in something that's very near and dear to Your heart. Lord, would You help us make Your commission our commission? Father, help us get the focus off ourselves to quit making excuses, Lord, and think about what others need, not what we want. Help us see eternity. Help us think of eternity and have it always in the back of our mind just mulling around there as we interact with friends and family and, and co-workers. And Lord, uh, what's a way, what's a creative way, Father, we can use our talents here at Greater Alton? What's a creative way, Father, I ask, another way to connect with people and use it to reach others? And Father, we pray that You'll help us see our mission field is our own backyard. Help us start there. Help us start there and begin to bring people to You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.